Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, good morning again. We're glad y'all are here this morning and uh, joining us. Uh, we've had a, a, a great week. Our ladies' night out uh, was Thursday night. Anybody there? Yeah. Had a great hundreds of ladies here for a wonderful time with with Jenny Allen, so we're, we're grateful we had that opportunity. We're looking at a series about entitlement, and as I've talked about over the last couple of weeks, people have been talking and even sending me some stuff, and my friend Charlie Pfeiffer sent me a classified ad last week that shows concerns that a lot of employers have about the entitled mindset. This is a real ad, I don't think this is made up. It says, construction workers needed. Please do not apply if you oversleep, have court often, do not have a babysitter every day, have to get rides to work later than our workday begins, experience flat tires every week, have to hold on to a cell phone all day, or will become an expert at your job with no need to learn to take advice after the first day. Must be able to talk and work at the same time. Must also remember to come back to work after lunch. Should not expect to receive gold stars for being on time. It's kind of scary when somebody has to actually put that out there, but it tells you the world we're in. Dr. John Townsend, who wrote a book, The Entitlement Cure, writes or defines entitlement as the belief that first, I am exempt from responsibility, And second, I am owed special treatment. And because of the presence of of sin, the reality of sin in all humanity, all of us struggle with entitlement to some degree at some point in our lives, at least a few areas. But for some people, it is much more common, much more dominant in their approach to life. So what do we do when we recognize it, particularly in ourselves, but perhaps also in others? We, We can't just wish it away. It has developed in us or in others over time. And in most cases, God himself works in us and through us over time as we cooperate him to to restore us. God's desire is that we have a life that works and works best. And that is not the entitled mindset. In fact, Jesus said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's his desire, that is what he wants for us. But the abundant life isn't magic. I mean, we have to live by faithfully trusting Jesus and seeking to to live as he taught us through his word, God's word, the Bible, every day. And in this case, that means all of us need to be looking at our lives, identifying areas of our lives where we perhaps are becoming entangled with this idea of entitlement. And, and we've got to begin to work at realigning our life to, the, to, to Jesus by the power of God by taking on new practices, new habits that can help us live that way. And so today and next week, we're going to look specifically at some practical entitlement habit busters that can help us and often can help us help others overcome entitlement. This then the week after that, we're going to actually look at what that, how that plays out specifically in parenting and dealing with children and, and others. So, we want to just kind of dive in. 
and, and look at something we've talked about over the last couple of weeks is that we often see this entitled attitude expressed by the phrase, I deserve. I deserve. You heard it in our, our video just a moment ago. And I want to tell you, it is a dangerous phrase because our words, what we say, affects how we think, how we feel, how we act. And all of that then manifests itself in our relationships. You know, when our child tells us, I deserve a cell phone. I, I, I heard an amen there. We ought to be thinking, what did you do to deserve a cell phone? Or, I deserve a brand new car. Well, that's a great thought. But who says, I deserve it? I may want it. I may even need it. I may be able to work for it. I may be able to pay for it. But who says I deserve it? And sometimes people will say those things to us. Well, you deserve a new car. You deserve that job or, or whatever. And, and they're often saying that in a well-meaning way they want to assure us. But in the process of saying that to others or as we say it to others, a lot of times it just fuels these feelings of entitlement even more. It's this idea that we're, we're somehow special in such a way that it entitles us to something more. And this, this problem is, is that we, the problem often is that we misuse these, these simple words, I deserve. And, and most of the time when, when we say I deserve, we, what, what it really means is that we have a desire or even a need, but that the phrase the phrase itself means having a right to something that we can therefore demand, a right to it. So that's stronger than a desire, stronger than a need. But this right to, to demand really only makes sense when we actually have, have done something that appropriately earns that, or it's a contractual right conferred to us by a legal entity. For instance, the Constitution of the United States of America provides us certain rights, such as free speech or the, to be able to choose to worship where we, where we would like. And so in America, we deserve those. The Apostle Paul claimed this kind of right in, in Acts 25 when he appealed to Caesar because charges had been laid up against him by the Jewish leaders and he had the right to appeal those charges to Caesar. And he deserved that because that was his right. The phrase, I deserve, though, becomes a problem when we use it to express a desire or need because it opens the door to this entitled attitude. When I say, I deserve a good job, well, yeah, it's great, all of us. I hope everyone has a good job. But just because I think or feel I deserve it, does it mean that there's just one sitting there waiting for me? Or I say, I deserve a great marriage. Well, absolutely, we want, we want everybody who is married to have a great marriage. But if you're not working at it, if it's not something that gets lived out in how you, you treat your spouse, do you really deserve it? See, there's danger in using these, 
these phrases. They're great aspirations, but just simply saying them doesn't make them so. In fact, if I really believe I do deserve some of these things, then I expect them to happen to me, to be conferred on me, and I don't have to do much. I just wait for it to happen. I wait for my spouse to make it a great marriage, when in fact it takes both of us working at it. But if I start thinking I deserve a great marriage, I may do very little that is needed from me to help that to happen. And then I wonder when it falls apart, why didn't she do more? When in fact, it was me. Great jobs don't simply happen. Great marriages don't just occur. They require initiative. They require work on all of our parts. And when I start taking those for granted, I'm just setting everything up for trouble. And, and this, this way of thinking has huge impl- theological implications about how we think about God. If I start to think that I'm a, I'm a pretty good person, you know, I, I, I'm pretty good at, at least compared to that guy at work. I'm a pretty good person at, at least compared to that kid in my class who's always getting in trouble. We start, we start going down that road before long comparing ourselves. What we're really doing is deceiving ourselves. And that's something the devil loves for you and me to do. He loves for us to deceive ourselves that somehow we're better, that we're good. The Bible says everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. That's found in Romans 3.23, and if you're careful, if you look at that scripture, you will not find an asterisk by the word everyone, where it says everyone but you, or everyone but your family, or everyone but your closest friends. It's everyone. And that means that apart from God's grace, then I deserve, by, by uh, ruling, I deserve the, the penalty of sin, which the Bible says is death. God in his holiness and sinless, sinless perfection cannot abide our sin. In Ephesians 2, verse 3, it says, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. Now, when it says God's anger, we immediately think of our anger, which is filled with emotion and filled with with sometimes losing control. But God's anger is not. God's anger is not an emotion. It is becoming upset with something that is inherently wrong. And there is a righteous anger, just as there's righteous anger in our lives. The Bible never says, don't be angry. It just, it cautions us not to sin in the midst of our anger. God cannot sin. And so his anger is not a sinful anger. It's a righteous anger. It says, so by our very, by our very nature, though, we were subject to that because we all sinned just like everyone else. So it is only believing, trusting that in Christ's death on the cross, He took upon himself my punishment for my sin that therefore I can be declared right before God by his goodness, by his grace. Look, I am not saved because I deserve it or because I earned it or because I'm a pastor or because I'm a nice guy, or because I grew up in the church, or because I hang out with some good people, or because I have a good job, or because I live in the right part of town. None of those things are relevant. I am saved not because of any of those things, but solely and completely by the grace of God. The Bible puts it this way in Ephesians 2, a little later on in verse 8. God saved you by his grace 
when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. None of us can say, I'm pretty good. That ought to make God happy. It's not good enough if I'm trying to do it on my own. So Christians, of all people, should understand why it might not be such a great idea to focus on only what we deserve. Because by the grace of God, we have received so much more than we have ever deserved. Thank God. Guys, that's really important. God has been gracious. When I start saying, God ought to be glad that I just did the right thing, or God ought to thank me, God is saying, what? None of us can boast. None of us are in a place where we can say, look how good I am. And so we've got to trust him and throw ourselves at his mercy. And so the first entitlement-busting habit is, is this, simply change, I deserve, to I am responsible. Change, I deserve a good job, to I am responsible for a good job. It's up to me, I have to work at it. I have to do my part, I have to dig in, I have to work hard. There is real power when I take responsibility. See, when I say I deserve, it puts me in someone else's power. While I am responsible, enables me to control the only thing that I can control, honestly, and that's myself, myself and my behaviors. I can't control you. I can't even control my children. You know? I mean, they, they're good kids, but I can't control them. None of us can control anyone. We only have something, we only can deal with ourselves. I deserve, though, leads to this passive victim mentality, leaving me feeling miserable. I deserve alienates people in relationships, while I am responsible brings people together. Because when I say I deserve, it sounds like somebody owes me something, and that, that doesn't go so well in relationships. Because relationships are about love and about vulnerability and about connections of the heart, and that only happens when I take responsibility for myself. I deserve is a demand. Well, I am responsible gives this idea of vulnerability and need. I deserve sounds so arrogant, entitled. Even when the person's saying it doesn't even mean it that way. Instead, when I say I am responsible, I'm sharing something that I don't have that's important to me. And it puts demands on me, not on others, which is much better received. I deserve conveys this idea of special privileges. While I am responsible, says, I'm going to get at the back of the line like everyone else. I'm going to do my share. I'm going to, I'm going to take my, do my part. Because when I say I deserve, it sounds like I'm better than everybody else. And that just that doesn't go very well. We may be unique in God's eyes, but that doesn't mean that we deserve anything more than anyone else. And when I say I deserve, it can sound so ungrateful. While I am responsible, encourages gratitude. When, when people think they're owed something, you're not, you're not thankful for it. You owe me. 
oh, I am so thankful that you owe me. No, that's not how we act or think or talk. But gratitude encourages gratitude. Dr. Townsend writes, gratitude and entitlement cannot coexist in the brain. They can't coexist. When we choose to be responsible, we're no longer then in someone else's power, someone else who's going to do what it takes for me to be okay. We're simply doing our duty, doing what we can. It's not something that makes us more special than anyone else. It's just we, what we should be doing. That's why Jesus said in the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. But Jesus, no, we are, we are unworthy servants when we are obedient, who have simply done our duty. So think about it, what maybe is an area of your life where maybe there are some feelings of entitlement, where the words, I deserve, have, have maybe become a little too common. And then write down how saying I am responsible might make you more productive for serving Christ and, and more productive for your life. Now, a second entitlement issue that I want us to think about this morning and let me just set the stage first. Have you ever received a trophy before playing in the championship game? Now, I know the Rockets would love to get a trophy. After last night, they're going to have to work harder. But nobody's, nobody's handed them a trophy already. Many people have been picking the Astros to do extremely well this year, and we're praying but here's the thing, on the first day of the season, nobody handed the Astros a trophy for the World Series. You never receive a trophy before playing in the game. You're never offered a promotion before you're doing a good job. Your parents never told you to go ahead and eat the dessert first and forget about the vegetables right? I mean, those things don't happen because that's not how success works in life. It makes no sense to receive a trophy before you've even earned it. It, it makes no sense to get a promotion before you've even done well. And it, it is not helpful to eat sweets before you eat your meal. But an attitude of entitlement tells us we can, and in fact, it should be that way because that's what I want. That's what I deserve, that I can have it all. That it, it ought to be easy, and, and my comfort ought to come first, and I'll be rewarded. And that's all a lie. Entitlement encourages us to leave the hard stuff until later, or never. And this never goes well. In fact, the Bible points us in the right direction. Proverbs 6, 6 says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. The ant does the right and hard things because they need to be done. So the second entitlement-busting habit is this. Do the hard things first. Do the hard things first. All of us are confronted by challenges in life, and so we need to learn from the ant and just do it. Dr. Townsend says that when we run up against something that can derail or divert or stall us out, we need to choose what, to do what he calls the next hard thing, the NHT, the next hard thing. It may be simple. It may even be clear, but it's not easy. 
And, and we may have run up against this before and, and avoided it. So this time, we need to do something. But the entitled attitude says the, the next hard thing is too hard. Or it's so hard, I, I'm going to have to work at it. Or I'm going to have to invest a lot in it. And I, so I'm just going to do something else. And yet most people do not succeed by waiting, but by making hard, making difficult choices. It's choosing to do something today that will resolve or at least move forward the issue. And, and when we do that, we virtually always feel better. But too often we find ourselves preferring to kick the can down the road rather than doing what's required and, and, and what's often hard in order to move forward. And so the next hard things, overcoming those, often require us to, to put, build time into our schedule. To, it's not going to just happen. I can't just let it occur. I have to be intentional about it. They often go against our flow of life, so they push us out of our comfort zones. They may require us to go against what somebody else wants me to do, some expectations that, well, this is okay, or you shouldn't have to do all that. You know, They, they may mean that I have to start at the bottom. And they may require having hard conversations with someone. These are true obstacles, but they're not insurmountable. They're not impossible. And if we allow God to help us work hard on new habits, we can often manage breakthroughs that lead to big changes in our lives. But they are the next hard thing. Why? Because we have butted up against them. Maybe before. And we've tried some things. And it didn't go so well. And we've let discouragement set in, maybe even win. And over time, we get used to it, and, and this entitlement thinking just starts to dismiss it. So here's some, some practices that can help us break through our next hard thing. But, but again, let me say, these are going to take effort. This is not the next easy thing. This is not a breeze. It's going to take effort. First is we need to think and talk about what a breakthrough will do. For you, for others. Entitlement thinking resists the idea that, that something hard can actually pay off, that, that going the extra mile, that, that spending time after hours, that investing myself in that can really make a difference. Near the end of the book of Job, God confronts Job himself, not for the tragedies that Job had faced, but for the ways that he was thinking and talking about them, ways that were keeping, keeping him stuck in his situation, in his attitude, in his circumstances. And so God finally said to him in chapter 38, verse 3, he said, brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you've got to answer them. In the King James, it says, gird up your loins. God challenges Job's way of thinking. And quite honestly, he's got him stuck. Not that what has happened to him is good, but we can, even when bad things happen to us, we can still get stuck instead of allowing God to help us push through. So we do this to tackle a behavior or a conversation that can move us forward. We think about it, we talk about it, we feel it, even if we don't want to. We feel the sting of what we've been through, but we don't ignore it, we don't deny it. We develop an image or a vision of, of, an, of what the outcome might look like if we stay engaged, if we stay the course, if we don't give up doing what's hard. Second, don't sugarcoat the negatives. In other words, be willing to face the truth that the next hard thing is hard. It's going to require struggle. It's going to require work. That's why it's called the next hard thing. 
Because if you think it won't be hard or it won't be that bad or, or whatever, and it doesn't work out, then you face huge disappointment, enough maybe even to stop you in your tracks. The disappointment comes from the difference between your expectations and the reality. And remember, we've said already in this series that, that entitlement thinking usually ignores reality. It doesn't see the things the way they really are. This time, face reality. Don't, don't sugarcoat what's happening and, and, and what it's going to take and, and what it's going to feel like to go through it and it'd be hard and it's going to be a struggle. And when, though you face the truth, often that's where we find a new sense of energy and hope that we can. In fact, Jesus said the truth will set you free. It's why confession is so fundamental to the the way of life of following Jesus. Because nothing changes, whether it's in our work or in our relationships or in our our spiritual lives, nothing changes until we face reality and we admit where we are and what we're battling, even if it's bad. Third, we need to realize that there will be an end to your next hard thing. It may seem huge. But it is not forever. In fact, getting through it can often be something that can break us out of inertia, something that's been holding us back. We need to remember it doesn't go on forever, even if it doesn't go well. Listen, even if it doesn't go well, it goes. And sometimes that in itself is a big step. When we tell ourselves that the the sooner we tackle this next hard thing, the the sooner our lives then can start to move on again. But we're confronting a tactic that our mind often uses to delay. And yeah, it, it may be hard. But if I delay, it goes on and on and on. And some of you are right there, aren't you? Some of you are right there. You've been putting off something. And the longer you delay... It just seems like it's going to go on forever. But there is an end. Delaying that phone call, putting off the conversation, avoiding that project at work, it won't last forever, regardless of what you're feeling right now. Fourth, own the strength that you and God have to do this. I mean, we all face hard things. I mean, that's, that's a part of humanity, and, and lots of people deal with this. Uh, sometimes we go through a period of life, and we think maybe not. I remember growing up, my life was actually very easy in my early years, and even into my young adulthood. And so I, I, I wasn't probably as prepared when some adversity started to hit me. But as I looked around, I couldn't find anybody else that was getting off scot-free, And as I look around today, I don't see. Sometimes we have periods where things go better than others. But the reality is all of us experience hard times sooner or later. Sometimes incredibly hard things that we could not even imagine even a few weeks ago in in going through. And the thing is, if we stay the course, we get through them. It does happen. And we can look back and recall, I got through. May not have been pretty. May not have been easy may not have even ended up where I wanted it to be, but I did it. And realize that God is there with you and offers you his strength to live your life his way. In Isaiah, the Lord said, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. 
He doesn't say, I will give you what you want. I I will get you where you want to go, where you want to go. But he says, I am with you. I am your strength. I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. I mean, we got God loves us. That is the that is the most powerful thing that exists. He is with you. He 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 offers you his strength to do what's right, even if it's hard. So step out in his strength as well as yours, which leads to number five. That is, take your next step. Your your next hard thing is typically about a specific behavior. It's something you've been avoiding, something to do that you don't want to do. Make a phone call, have that conversation, whatever it may be. It's a behavior. It's something that, that begins with a step, even a little one. A, a little step begins the process, and, and it moves you forward one way or another to a better place. And if you're a people pleaser, don't think, try to think seven steps ahead of how it's going to come out or how it's going to work out or or whatever, because when I start thinking ahead, I start imagining all the things that could happen, including many of them that aren't so good. And so God always calls us simply to take a next step. Just take the next step and trust him. And finally, accept that hard things, doing hard things means making mistakes. And the perfectionist waits until they, they believe they can do it and do it right. And sometimes that time never comes, does it? And so nothing happens. Here's the thing. The first time any of us do something, odds are we we make mistakes. That's normal. That's the way it is to be flesh and blood. We all make mistakes. It doesn't make you a bad person to make a mistake. It doesn't make you a bad parent to make a mistake. It doesn't make you a bad Christian to make a mistake. In fact, it makes you a normal Christian. Sometimes we have this idea that Christians can't make mistakes. But I want to tell you something. It is a sin to believe that I cannot or should not ever make a mistake. That's Satan whispering that we should be like God. God, the creator, is perfect. But he did not create you and me to be God. He created us to be flesh and blood. He created us to be human beings. And that means we don't have perfect knowledge We don't have perfect ability. We can't figure it all out. We don't have all the answers. We make mistakes sometimes. But we have enough to move forward in life the way God created us to live. It's a sin to believe that somehow I should be above sin or mistakes. Even before the fall, there was nothing in Scripture that indicated that Adam and Eve should be able to function and make no mistakes. That has never been the picture of humanity. And yet a lot of us think that's the way I'm supposed to be. I can't mistake, make mistakes at work. I can't make mistakes in my relationships. And man, do we put ourselves in a bind where it starts to wrap around and distort our thinking. And we start doing these entitled behaviors and these perfectionist behaviors and all these kinds of things. Taking a step will be messy many times. That's not what we necessarily want to hear. It may not go well. In fact, it may not work. 
But here's the thing, you did something. And that movement sometimes is as important as where you went. See, sometimes we think, I know where I need to go. I know how this is gonna work out. I understand this, this situation at work or in this relationship. And, and, and I'm thinking way ahead, and all God ever says is, man, just trust me for the next step. And sometimes when I take the next step, I'll discover that the next step is to continue in this way. But you know what, sometimes when I take the next step, you know what happens? God suddenly shows me that then the next step is not that way, but this way. And I would have never seen that in my, on my own. I would have never figured that out. And, and standing here thinking, that's the way to go. I could never conceive going back that way until I took the step. And it was only then that I started to see where the next step would lead me. I know that's kind of a convoluted thing, but it really does impact how you and I live. Is that a lot of times we think we got to figure it all out. We're afraid of what could happen, and we don't take any steps at all. It is okay to take a step and it messes up. It's okay to take a step and it takes a while. It's okay to take a step and, and mess up and pick yourself up again. All those things are okay. God didn't say you couldn't do that. God didn't say life will never be that way. It's how God in fact created us to trust him enough to take a step that may not go where I think it will go, but in taking it, he then can show me. But if I don't, nothing happens. That's why we encourage you to take some step in your Christian journey and to do it today. Maybe it's, it's checking out serving. Maybe it's looking into joining a group or it's buying a book that can help you on your faith journey or or start reading my Bible, even if it's a chapter a day, or 10 verses a day, or one line a day. Maybe it's deciding, I need to put my faith in Christ. Maybe it's deciding, I need to stand up for my faith and be baptized and demonstrate to the world whose side I'm on. Maybe it's choosing to join the Gateway family as a member to discern what could be some next concrete steps of faith and growth. But if you walk out of here thinking, man, there really is something, I, I, it's kind of been nagging at me, something I need to do. And you don't put in place a way to do it. I guarantee you this afternoon's gonna get busy. The rain's gonna come. School or work is gonna happen tomorrow. And first thing you know, it's gonna be Sunday again. You go, oh. That's why there needs to be sometimes an immediacy to what we do to take a step. Because if you do nothing and you feel like you should, you're gonna create guilt. And that guilt is gonna, is gonna multiply. And first thing you know, that guilt's gonna keep you from doing anything because you feel like you're a failure or you feel like there's no way you can do that. That, that pattern plays out in you and me time and time again. That's why sometimes we just gotta take a step. And it doesn't matter if it's not the perfect step. It doesn't matter if I don't know what comes next. 
It doesn't matter if I got it all figured out or not. Just trust him for a step. Don't let Satan win that you don't have to do something. Trust God that with him, you are more capable than you know and that you really can make a difference. Thursday night, Jenny Allen talked about that. That every, every single human being, every one of us can make a difference, but we so often have bought into the lie that my difference wouldn't matter. Yes, it does. It may, not, it may not change the world, but even if it matters to one other person, that's significant. Dr. Townsend defines God's way as the hard way, the habit of doing what is best rather than what is comfortable to achieve a worthwhile outcome. I'm challenging you today to do what's best. To examine your life, see maybe that there is some entitlement thinking going on there. See if there's a step you really kind of know back in the back of your mind you need to take and you've just been putting it off or it's just, it's easier not to or it's gonna be hard or you're not sure what it's gonna involve or what it's gonna take. Do it. And trust me, it probably won't go the way you think. When I started back to church, the last thing I thought was I'd be a pastor, okay? It was, it was, it was not even on my list. But I can tell you today, looking back, that step, I'm so grateful I took it because God did something I couldn't have imagined. And made it something I couldn't imagine into the joy of my heart. And that's the way he works in all of us. And yes, it may be messy. Yes, it, it may not go the way you think. But you take that step and God will show you a next step. And maybe even a step you never imagined. But you and I have to trust him for the next step. And God will walk with you then through every step on that journey to bring you into his abundant life. And that doesn't come from entitled thinking or from doing it my way or from going it alone. Trust him. And maybe you just need to take the back of the notes down to the bottom. It says, what's the next step I will take today? Just write something down for you. Put it in your car, put it on your mirror, put it in your wallet or your purse so it doesn't get lost. And you do that. Maybe it's to dig deeper into some of this. We have the, the, we've been working out of a book called The Entitlement Cure by John Townsend. And we actually had books this morning, but those, those slugs in the first service bought them all. <laughs> so um, we're gonna put a, a link Amazon and we'll get some more, but um, maybe it's to sign up for our membership class and see what are some concrete steps for you. Maybe it's to come talk to a prayer team who'll be down here in just a moment because there's something on your heart that you've been too, maybe too proud or too scared to seek some help from. Or it's time to commit your life to Christ. They'll be waiting to talk with you if that's you. There'll be some of us out there would love to meet you. Uh, and the Gateway family, if you brought someone, come, come introduce them to us. Join me as we pray. Father God.
thank you that you are an amazing God who created us not to be perfect, not to, to go through life without problems, but who created us so that we can go. And you've given each of us in our lives a purpose and steps that we can take. We confess, Father, that sometimes we, we get caught up in, in hard stuff that we think we can't get through. We think that maybe we don't deserve hard or it shouldn't be that way. Father, I pray that you would just take that thinking out of our minds today. That hard is not against life. Hard has always been a part of life. And it may not be what some of us wanna hear, probably most of us. But if we can put that behind us, Father, we can move. And in many cases, we can do some incredible things that we never even imagined because we become willing to do the hard stuff. Help us, Father, and help us to change our thinking that it's not just about deserving, but what are we responsible for? What are you doing and can do in and through us to make life better for others? For when we do that, you really do make life better for us. We thank you for these opportunities, Father. We realize that some of these steps are gonna be really hard. And I pray, Father, that each of us would examine what that step needs to be. Not worry about seven steps down the road, but just today, take that step. I pray that for each, each of us in here today, Father, in Jesus' name. God bless you. See you on your next, the other side of your next step. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.